<laughs> it's nearly elf season again, that's a good thing. Uh, that's Levi's uh, puzzle skills on view. Um, that was a very COVID-interrupted Christmas day that Levi spent putting together that puzzle. Uh, here's why I thought of that video during the week. This is not just uh, trying to get Levi some likes and subscribes on his uh, <laughs> YouTube channel. Um, I thought of that video during the week because I feel like while Levi, just to embarrass him a little bit further, um, while he has mad puzzle skills, the key thing to putting together a puzzle like that is not just being able to see all the particular shapes and colours, but to know what the finished picture is meant to be to have the kind of picture on the puzzle box in front of you. And that was, that's the key thing for putting together a puzzle, right? And as we put together the puzzle of God's Word, uh, we need to know what is the finished picture that God is working on in His world by His Word and Spirit. And uh, as we travel together through the book of Genesis, we see time and time again what God's plan is uh, in his promises that he is committed to his people. And we see it not just in the big picture, we don't just see it in the big finished picture on the puzzle box, as in we know uh, from the big picture what God is doing, but we see it played out even in the little details of all, as it were, the individual pieces, the colours, the shapes that are going on in individual people's lives at different points in time throughout salvation history. And as we get to Genesis chapter 30 together tonight, we not only have uh, little parts of the puzzle, little pieces and colours and shapes, but we also have kind of unfolding before us like a miniature picture of the whole, um, of the whole plan, of all of God's plans and purposes. And so it's an opportunity for us to look at the individual details to see in miniature kind of God's purposes for salvation but also to zoom back and to look at the, the, the front of the, the puzzle box, as it were, to see the, the big picture of what God is doing in his world by his word and spirit for his glory. And it's important to keep zooming back to look at the, the puzzle box lid, to see the big picture, in order to keep securing our faith, to know that our faith is grounded in God's promises that we get to be wrapped up in all that God has done and is doing and will do. And we get to be part of that big picture by His grace and through the finished work of the Lord Jesus. Now, if you cast your mind back a long, long time to when we were in uh, Genesis chapter 17, and we saw God affirm His commitment to Abraham. He said to Abraham that from his one family would come a nation through which God's purposes for the whole world would be accomplished. So have a look, Genesis 17, God says to Abraham, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. That is the great promise of salvation, that the creator God, the one who made us and loves us, he will be our God and we will be his people. There is no greater soul-satisfying promise than that 
that you belong to the creator of the universe and that his affectionate father heart is turned towards you in love as an object of his affection and his redeeming love. He is your God. You are his people. That is the great purpose for which God is at work in his world by his promises and for his glory. And so the big picture that we want to have in front of us and that we see unfolding even in the details of the book of Genesis is for God's people to be in God's place with God's own presence and his provision for his good purposes. And as we read the Bible, we see God work out that big picture, but we also see him do that in in real people's lives, in real moments in history, in small ways that connect to the whole big puzzle, as it were. And that's what we're seeing unfold in the story of Jacob that we have in the book of Genesis, starting with God's people. That's starting to be fulfilled, isn't it? Because we we got to the end of the scene last week where we saw with the birth of Joseph and the 11 sons and one daughter recorded in last week's passage that the attention for Jacob and for Bible readers starts to turn from the fact that here is a people starting to form and they now need to think, oh, what does it mean for us to be God's people in God's place? When at the moment they're not in God's place. They're in Laban's place, they're in Padan Haran. They're out of the land and they're under Laban's rule, as it were. They're basically his servants. And so as we see God's people start to form, we see the 12 tribes of Israel start to take shape in the family of Jacob. We need to start to think, how does God's promise for place and his presence and his provision and his purposes get fulfilled? That God would be their God. That God will continue to make a people for himself in his own image, to reflect and to promote and to enjoy his glory. How will we see that unfold? Because God's people long to be in God's place under his loving rule and care. Well, here we start to see the attention starts to to turn back towards the homeland of the promised land of Canaan. Have a look at verse 25 and God's place. Verse 25, after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. Jacob longs to go home. The land of promise that connects him to his father and his grandfather and to the eternal promises of God. Remember chapter 28 at Bethel when God said, I will give you this place. And I will be with you until my purposes are completed. And now Rachel has given birth, there is scope. There is no scope for Laban, her father, to keep her. Because it's clear and it's obvious and now she has flesh in the game because she has a child to Jacob. They are definitely married, they are definitely a family. And he has every right to say to his father-in-law, let my family come with me. 
Because while Jacob remains in Laban's household, there can be no family of Israel. And while he remains Laban's servant, there is no family security. There is no furthering of Jacob's prosperity, which is key for securing this family's future in this ancient land. And one of the things that's kind of hidden in the text, I think it's a question mark, is whether or not Laban was trying to claim these children as his own. It's not an unheard of thing because basically Jacob's children were born in servitude to Laban and it's not out of the realms of possibility that Laban's saying, well, I might keep these children and use them for my own prosperity and my own purposes. So when Jacob asks Laban, let me take my wife and children, it is a genuine question. The good thing for Jacob, what works in his favour, is that Laban views everything through dollar signs. That he's not particularly interested in people, he is interested in his own prosperity. And so a deal for wealth, a deal for prosperity, that's where Laban's mind is and that's what Jacob taps into. Laban remarkably acknowledges that God's presence and provision are with Jacob. Laban recognises that Jacob living, that Jacob is living in God's promises from back in chapter 8 where God said he would not leave him and would bring about his full purposes for him. And so then we see as Jacob and Laban then negotiate we see the, the issue of God's presence and God's provision unfold and that's a big chunk of this passage. Pick it up with me at verse 27. But Laban said to him, if I have found favour in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He added, name your wages and I will pay them. Laban has learned by divination what everyone else can see by opening their eyes. That Jacob has been blessed by God as God keeps his covenant promises. And in turn, Jacob is becoming a blessing to the wider family. Jacob's blessing is overflowing to Laban. He's getting rich off Jacob's blessing, as it were. And so he wants to work out how to leverage that blessing. How do I keep that blessing? How do I double it, as it were? How do I get greater advantage from Jacob's blessing? What does Jacob say? Verse 29, Jacob said to him, you know how I've worked for you and how your livestock has fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I've been. But now when may I do something for my own household? What shall I give you? Laban asked. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied. Danger, Will Robinson, right? You don't want to be indebted to Laban once again. You don't want Laban to think he's given you something. That's the last thing that Jacob wants. He needs to get out of there. He needs to get out of there with his family. But in order for them to survive even the journey, they're going to need some stuff. They're going to need some animals. They're going to need some prosperity to take with them to secure their future. But in doing that, he wants to keep himself well away from his deceiving and greedy father-in-law. And so as Jacob makes a deal with Laban, he makes it sound like Jacob is getting ripped off. 
Laban, just give me the weak and irrelevant animals from your flock and and we'll call it even. To make it sound as if Laban's getting the best deal, he knows that that's how Laban is going to view things. Have a look again at verse 31. But if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all of your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-coloured lamb and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages, the weak ones, the recessive ones, the bad breeding, let me keep them. And my honesty will testify for me in the future, whenever you check on the wages you have paid me, any goat in my possession that's not speckled or spotted, any lamb that's not dark-coloured will be considered stolen. You see, Jacob, who has spent a long time with these flocks, he says he's happy to take the relatively few, the genetically recessive speckled lamb or goat, because all the sheep are meant to be white, give me the black ones, Jacob says, and all the goats that are meant to be black, give me the streaked ones, Jacob says. Good deal. So verse 34, Laban agrees, let it be as you've said, and here he goes, deceptive, lying Laban. He makes the deal and he goes straight in and he takes away the goats and the sheep that were meant to belong to Jacob. Verse 35, that same day he removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them, all the dark coloured lambs and he placed them in the care of his sons and he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. So Laban basically is reducing Jacob's chance of success to zero. Taking out all the speckled and spotted lambs and goats so that they can't breed with the rest of the flock. Laban is here seeking to bring Jacob's chances of success down to zero and so keep his daughters and son-in-law and the blessing in his own home. As one writer has said, Laban knew the price of everything but the value of nothing. And one of the lessons that we can learn from Laban, I think, is that putting a dollar sign on everything and letting prosperity and material wealth be the treasure of our heart, it's just a bad recipe. It's not the place of happiness, that's not the perspective of blessing. I can't remember why I came across this the other day, but in, uh, there was an obituary in the New Yorker back in 2005 for author Joseph Heller. And this is what the uh, obituary read. It said, Joseph Heller, an important and funny writer now dead, he and I were at a party given by a billionaire on Shelter Island. I said, Joe, how does it feel to know that our host only yesterday may have made more money than your novel Catch-22 has earned in its entire history? And Joe said, I've got something he can never have. And I said, what on earth could that be, Joe? And Joe said, enough. 
I've got something that he will never have. Enough. Laban's a bit like that. He could never have enough because the treasure of his heart is his own prosperity. And that is not the perspective of blessing and happiness. The whole purpose of prosperity, as God increases the prosperity of Jacob, is not for him to say, look how great I am or look how much I have. God is seeking to secure the future of his people and so that this family nation can continue in order that he can bring about the birth of the Messiah. And the arrival of Jesus surely shows us that the goal for God and his people is not material prosperity. That that's a terrible place to have your treasure, the treasure of your heart. When Jesus comes, born in poverty and dying in shame, isn't it a good reminder for us that God's great goal for people is not that they would have material prosperity? Because as you read the Bible and you see God's purposes unfold and you see him seek to protect his people and build up their prosperity to see their future secured, you can start to think, well, why doesn't God build up my prosperity? Why doesn't he secure my future that way? And it's only in looking to the Lord Jesus who was born in poverty and dies in shame that it's Jesus who secures our future. That he is our prosperity, he is God's provision, he is God's presence, God in the flesh, doing what we needed him to do most, dealing with our sin and death and God's judgment when he died in our place. And so he is to be the great treasure of our hearts, the great purpose of our lives that we're meant to pursue. So Jacob... His odds of success, very low, almost zero. But Laban has forgotten two things. He's forgotten that God is with Jacob and God is the one bringing the blessing. He acknowledged it before, God's doing the blessing. Despite deception, despite divination, despite idolatry and sinfulness, none of those things can get in the way of God's promises and God's purposes. God is the one doing the blessing. He is the one who's sovereignly working this out in Jacob's life for the future of his people. And God said back in chapter 28 to Jacob, I will be with you. I will be with you. I will bring this to completion. Laban's forgotten that. The second thing Laban's forgotten is that he's left Jacob with these flocks for many, many years. And Jacob knows these sheep. And he knows these goats. He knows their breeding patterns. He knows which ones are the strong ones. He knows which ones are the weak ones. And Jacob goes about it with a whole lot of superstition. Reminds us a lot of the mandrakes from last week. But even with the superstition, God grants success. Have a look at verse 37. Jacob, however, took fresh cut branches from poplar almond and plane trees and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they made it in front of the branches and they bore young that were streaked or speckled or spotted. The idea is that if the sheep and the goats see stripes, 
there will be stripes. Right? Um, when my boys were younger, I dabbled in a bit of baseball coaching. And the key thing with baseball coaching is to know the lingo, to know the things that you've got to yell out at the kids as they go up to bat. Things like, um, you know, three up, three down. My favourite, you know, my favourite thing to yell out in a, as a baseball coach, that a baby. That's what all coaches yell out. That a baby. And one of the other ones that you say to baseball players is, see one, hit one. Because hitting a baseball is one of the hardest things to do in sport. And the key thing is you've got to see the ball. If you see the ball, hit the ball. See one, hit one. Laban's a bit, I mean, Jacob's a bit like a baseball coach. He's saying to the sheep and the goats, see a stripe, be a stripe, as they mate. Right? That's what he's doing. Forgetting that God is the one who's bringing the blessing. He is the one who grants success. Verse 40. So Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves, but made the rest face the streaked and dark-coloured animals that belonged to Laban. Thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban, the strong ones to Jacob. And in this way, Jacob grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. He's created security. He's created enough prosperity and wealth and provision in order that they can make the journey back to the promised land and they have a secured future in material senses. Recognising that God is the one who is bringing about the blessing. That he is providing. And what does God say in chapter 28? I am with you. And I will watch over you. And wherever you go, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. It's a wonderful promise, isn't it? That God will be with him, that God will bring him home, that God will not leave him until he has done all that he has promised. And friends, that is a picture in miniature of what God promises to us in the Lord Jesus who says he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he will go wherever we go and he will bring us home safely to live in his presence with his provision in his perfected place for his perfected future as his perfected people. And that, again, should be a great reminder for us to keep persevering in faith for the long haul, that in the face of crippling anxiety or big unknowns or all the things that you fear or all the obstacles and setbacks that you face, knowing that God doesn't leave you or forsake you and is totally committed to bringing about his plans and purposes. I will bring you home. 
I will keep you forever in the shelter of my presence. That's one of the things that we need to keep praying for, that God would keep giving us that perspective as we we trust him along the way. And even as we see the shapes and colours of all the individual pieces, God continues to remind us of the big picture of his plans and purposes, where he's taking the world and how he's working out everything for the good of those who love him. And it's wonderful, as we've already sung multiple times together tonight and thought at the very beginning, we meet in anticipation of God bringing to completion all of these promises for his people. And we don't have to guess at what the picture looks like or where God is taking things. He's shown us the finished product. He's given us the lid of the puzzle box, as it were. He says, this is what I'm doing and this is how all the pieces need to fit together to work in that direction. And he says, keep looking at that. Keep that on your horizon, even as you face setbacks, even as you face challenges in this world. So let's finish tonight by going to the finished picture. To keep that ever before us, turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 5. Grab your phone or your Bible, whatever, go to Revelation 5 where we see the finished picture of God's people in God's place with God's presence and provision for the purpose of enjoying his glory forever. Revelation 5, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Who can open the scroll of God's purposes? Who has the power and authority to execute God's plans of judgment and salvation? No one in all of history, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, no one can complete God's purposes for salvation to gather a people to himself. That's worthy of great grief and devastation. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. King Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of King David, he can achieve all of God's plans and purposes. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. (coughs) He had all power and he could see and know all things, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy 
to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. They will be in God's perfected place under God's perfect provision with God's perfect presence as God's perfected people to serve his perfect purposes for all of his perfected future. We see the pieces with their colours and their shapes and we see the completed picture in and through Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain, the one who rules forever and ever. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that Jesus is worthy, that he is the one who can achieve your purposes for salvation and for judgment, and he can bring back to you your perfected people for your eternal purposes. In the midst of setbacks, in the midst of obstacles, as we long for that day, help us to keep our eyes on your finished picture, even as you continue to work out the individual pieces in our lives. We pray that you would help us for this, in this, for Jesus' sake. Amen.